Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We've made it. We've made it to the New Testament. After 11 weeks of the story of the Bible from the Old Testament, we are now at the point where we can talk about the fulfillment of God's promises in Jesus. Maybe you've thought to yourself, aren't we New Testament Christians? Why are we spending so much time in the Old Testament? Well, I want to try something with you today. So you're going to have to look for a Bible that's in the chair in front of you. If you can grab one of those Bibles, that would be great. Just one of you. You don't have to have everybody, just so you can see it. What I'd like you to do is find in the Bible where the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, ends, and Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, begins. Okay, I want you to just find that, open up to that. So you're paging through to find the end of Malachi, beginning of Matthew. I'll give you a minute. This might take, I don't think there are any tabs on those Bibles to find the place, so you might have to page through a little bit. All right? We're getting there. Now what I'd like you to do is just kind of hold it up in front of you, and I want you to see how thick the Old Testament is compared to the New Testament. Is it a fair assessment for me to say there's about three-quarters, two-thirds to three-quarters as many pages as in the Old Testament as there is in the New Testament? So maybe it makes a little sense that we have to spend a little time in the Old Testament to see what God was doing, to see how he was carrying out these promises to have a full appreciation of what the New Testament is all about. Hold that thought just for a second. As you're on that page between Malachi and Matthew, do you know that almost 400, maybe even a little over 400 years passed between the time Malachi ended and the Gospel of Matthew begins? There was some waiting that happened with the Old Testament people for God to fulfill his promise. And so today as we think about the time being fulfilled, we see how God has the exact right timing. He knows exactly when things should happen. Not just in the grand scheme of history, but even in our own lives as well. Timing is everything. That's what people say. And so I set out this week to find things that I could put on the screen that would prove that timing is kind of important. Right? Google is wonderful, isn't it? Here's some pictures that I found to show how important timing is. So apparently, if you make a blueberry muffin and it looks just like your dog, then you should take a picture of it and put it on the internet so that people can find it. I don't know. How about the one in the upper left-hand corner, another uh, face of a dog, only this time it looks like it's on the human being. I don't know how many of you would be excited driving behind those two trucks just at the right time. Maybe you'd be feeling 22 or maybe a little red. I don't know. Taylor Swift? No, sorry. I'm sorry. I really like the one on the right. Can you even see the cat in there? Perfectly camouflaged by the beautiful carpeting on the steps. Yeah, I'm sure that cat went to hide there often. How about the guy landing, parachuting what appears to be on the moon? Or the, the long jumper landing perfectly in the sand pit and that beautiful spray of sand coming up, like perfectly symmetrical. Then you have the beluga whale that looks like it's ready for a little snack. And last but not least, the giant baboon who looks to be crushing the car in front of him. 
when really he's on the windshield of the car behind him. Yeah, timing, right? Timing is everything. Just a second or two later, and those pictures, many of them would not have happened. When we talk about timing, God's timing is always perfect. And though the Old Testament people had to wait, and and they waited, and waited, and waited for God to fulfill this promise, when Jesus arrived on earth, it was God's perfect time. And so today, as we look at these verses from the Gospel of Mark in our story of the Bible in 16 verses, we'll marvel once again at God's timing. That he brought Jesus to this earth at just the right time and we'll see Jesus in Jesus' own words. The time is fulfilled. And then we'll let Jesus explain what that means to us too because these are Jesus' words as well. What does it mean that the time is fulfilled? Well, Jesus says two things. First, the kingdom is near. And secondly, repent and believe the good news. Listen again to verses 14 and 15 with me of Mark chapter 1. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Maybe a few words about Mark's gospel as we get started because If you read Mark chapter 1, maybe you would expect a little bit about Jesus' birth, about how Jesus came to earth, the events surrounding at least some of Jesus' childhood. But that's not Mark's purpose in writing his gospel. Mark knew Peter fairly well and we know that Mark was in Rome when he wrote these words and so he wrote for a Roman audience. A Roman audience that was interested in power, in strength, And Mark's gospel displays Jesus as the one who brings that power and strength, the promised Messiah, the one who has power over all things. Mark set out to prove that Jesus is the Son of God and the promised Messiah. So as you read Mark's gospel and you compare it to some of the other gospels, what you're going to see is some gaps, sometimes pretty big gaps between historical events that the other gospels proclaim. Maybe you even caught it as we were reading through it. Mark went through John the Baptist coming on the scene and then Jesus being baptized by John and and the Father saying, this is my son whom I love. And then it went right to Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by Satan. And then as verse 14 starts, there's a gap of almost a year between Jesus' temptation and the events that come next. Right after our text is the calling of the first disciples. You see, what Mark's interested in reporting is what were the events happening around Jesus' arrival and what happened when Jesus arrived? What was he here to do? He highlights Jesus' purpose to proclaim the good news. That's what Mark says Jesus was doing, proclaiming the good news, proclaiming the gospel. See, John preached repentance, but he pointed people ahead to Jesus. He even said Jesus was so great that he wasn't worthy to untie Jesus' sandals. And so here Jesus came, right at the time that God chose for him to come. And the next thing Jesus says explains part of the reason he was here. Fulfilled is God's time is what Jesus said. And that's the exact word order in the original Greek, that word fulfilled, both in the tense of the verb and the position in the sentence, gives greater impact to Jesus' words. Fulfilled is the time. Jesus is saying, I'm standing right in front of you. 
as you look at me, you're seeing the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament promises. Yes, God's time was perfect, as it always is. We talk about God being the God of history. And there are times that we get to see that clearly in his word. He brought Jesus into the world at God's exact time, the time that God knew was right. While we can't give all of the reasons that God might have picked the time that he did, we do have the benefit of looking back at history and saying, you see some of God's wisdom in picking that time. There was relative peace in the Roman Empire. Roads had been built or were being built that would allow the message of salvation to travel to greater lengths in quicker ways. God chose the exact right time. Jesus explains even further why he is here, what he came to do. The next phrase he speaks is simply this, the kingdom of heaven is near. And again, I'm going to take you to the original Greek and the word order. Near is the first word in the sentence. Jesus is saying to the people, near, near, here, right now is the kingdom of God. Again, letting people know that God was fulfilling his very purpose in sending Jesus. If you've been here at all during the course of our sermon series, you know the concept of kingdom has been kind of a big, con uh, a big constant that runs through all of these verses that we have seen, starting with creation, where God made his kingdom in the Garden of Eden. And then we talked about how kingdom was at the heart of some of the promises to Abraham and Sarah that, that someone was going to come, royalty was going to be a part of their line through whom all nations on earth would be blessed. And then Jacob's son Judah got the promise where he was told that the scepter would not depart from him. King David was told that there would be a ruler on his throne forever. We heard that repeated by Isaiah in our first lesson today. And so what happened after David and Solomon's time? When oppressors came and made life miserable for the people of Israel, what began happening as they were waiting for the Savior to come is the message began being mixed in their hearts and in their minds. Oh, they knew a king was coming. They understood that God was going to restore the kingdom but they were more interested in many cases in overthrowing the oppression that they were experiencing from earthly kingdoms than they were thinking about a spiritual kingdom. And so for the better part of a thousand years, that concept of a king coming, not just as a spiritual help, but as a political help, someone who would restore Israel to its former glory, that was swimming around in the heads of the people of Israel. That's what they were thinking when Jesus arrived on earth. Even after spending three years with Jesus, the disciples asked him right before his ascension, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? See, people were waiting for something that Jesus wasn't going to provide, an earthly salvation. Jesus was far more interested in providing salvation for souls. Think about Jesus' ministry, some of the parables that Jesus taught that began like this, the kingdom of heaven is like, right? Jesus talked about God's kingdom in terms not of an earthly rule, but of God's activity. What God does in the hearts of people through his word, that's what the kingdom of God is. 
And when Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, that's our prayer. That God would come and rule in the hearts of people by his holy word. See, that's what the good news of salvation is all about. It's why Jesus proclaimed that good news. Because it's that good news that changes hearts. It's that good news that allows God to reign and to rule in our hearts. To convince us of his truth, that we are his children and heirs of eternal life. To convince us that the Jesus who arrived 2,000 years ago is the Messiah, our Savior from sin. I can't speak for all seminarians, but I think a lot of students who attend the seminary would list as one of the highlights of attending the seminary the daily worship in the chapel at the seminary. And every day as we went to worship, above the door, in a very prominent place at the chapel, at the seminary, were three Greek words. They're on the screen. Anyone who want to take a shot at reading them? Keruxita ta oyangelion is how you say those three Greek words. It simply means preach the gospel. Those are the very same three words that were used to describe Jesus coming on the scene. When Mark reports that Jesus was proclaiming the good news, those are the three words that are used about Jesus. You see, what Jesus knew, what you and I know, is that every single day in this life is a battle. A battle for our very soul. And there are strong forces who oppose us in that battle. Satan, the sinful world around us, even, yes, our own sinful nature. And Jesus came to remind us there's victory. There's victory in him, in the one who defeated Satan in our place, who destroyed sin and death, who rose to guarantee that we will rise too. When you think of Jesus' purpose on this earth, there's no greater phrase to think of than the good news. Hearing, proclaiming, trusting that good news of Jesus. Whatever happens in this life, whatever God asks you to wait for in this life, that will never change. What Jesus has accomplished is a fact. And the good news is you are redeemed and God's own child in Christ. That's why Jesus says the second thing he does in verses 14 and 15 of Mark chapter 1. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Not sure what you think of when you hear the word repent. But the word repent at its heart, at the core of that word, it simply means to turn. To turn away from sin. Repentance involves a change in our hearts. It means that we look at the mirror of God's law and recognize with humble, penitent, and contrite hearts that we simply can't measure up to what God demands in his holy word. That we can't do the things that God wants us to do, that the things that God doesn't want us to do, those are the things we have done. We recognize with sorrow and sadness, we need someone to take our place. Maybe we think about that sometimes and you think about Jesus' words, repent, or John the Baptist preaching repentance, or you come to church on Sunday and wonder, why do we always have to talk about sin and being sinful? It isn't fun. It isn't fun 
to speak about those things. It isn't fun to think about them in my own life either. But you recognize, right, how important it is to the meaningfulness of Jesus to understand our sin? Why would Jesus ever have to come if I didn't need a Savior? Why, if I could somehow make myself right before God on my own, would I ever turn to Jesus and say, I need you, Lord? You see, what makes Jesus meaningful, what makes the gospel meaningful, is the fact that we have fallen far short of the glory of God without Jesus. Maybe you even noticed, as we read it a couple of times, how Jesus follows up very quickly the word repent with the good news. Repent and believe the good news, Jesus says. See, that's the answer for our sin. It's the only answer for our sin. The only answer for sin is in the one who came at the exact right time that God sent him to proclaim the good news, to be the good news for you and me, to suffer for our sins, to rise again from the dead. See, our obedience will always fall short. We will never measure up to God's holy demands, but Jesus has already done it for us. He already lived that obedience for us. He already went to the cross to pay for our sins. The good news is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. That's Jesus coming to this life. That was God's purpose in bringing his son to this world. It's almost hard to believe, isn't it, how much excitement can be packed into two verses of Scripture? Or maybe, like me, from time to time, that excitement doesn't really come to us. Maybe sometimes our attitude about hearing the gospel again or going to church or thinking about God and what he does in our lives is, is sort of a ho-hum attitude or, meh, you know, it's okay. Maybe the joy of salvation can find us again as we think about the anticipation that the Old Testament believers had. The first promises that God made to Adam and Eve thousands of years before Jesus ever came, even the promise to King David that someone would reign on his throne was a thousand years before Jesus came into this world. 400 years between Malachi's prophecy and Matthew reporting the birth of Jesus. But you know what God did. He delivered. He delivered on what he has promised. We aren't strangers to waiting either, are we? We're waiting for Jesus to come back again, to take us to be with him forever in heaven. But aren't there times in our lives as God's people where God's answer to our prayers is, wait, hold on, I know what I'm doing, not quite yet. Maybe like me, you get frustrated by that from time to time. Why isn't God doing the things that I think he should be doing? Why isn't God making a bigger difference in this world? Why isn't he helping me in my life with this trouble? Isn't it great to go back to this section of scripture and recognize that God's timing is always perfect? It was perfect when he brought Jesus into this life, into this world, and it's perfect in your life too. You see, here's what you never have to question who you are in God's eyes. You're his own child. 
redeemed by the Savior that came at just the right time. The kingdom that God talks about in the Old Testament is fully restored in Jesus our Savior. And yes, Jesus tells you and me that we are going to reign with him forever. God's covenant, his promise to you and me that he was going to save all people through the seed of the woman, it came true when Jesus arrived on this earth. And it's confidence that you can take with you every single day. We read it earlier, but I want you just to see again how, how Paul so clearly tells us what this means for us in Galatians chapter 4. When the t- set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Let those words sink in. Jesus coming to this life means you're bought back from sin, from death, from Satan. You are his own child, adopted into his family and an heir of life eternal. A few things you can take home with you today from our sermon. Number one, at just the right time, God sent Jesus to fulfill his promise. God's time, perfect. And God's time is always right in your life too. Number two, Jesus came to restore the kingdom of God, his rule in our hearts by his gospel. When you hear, when you read, when that word of God comes to you again and again, it's God who is working in your heart, ruling in your life. Finally, number three, we recognize our need for Jesus and rejoice in his forgiveness for us. Let your repentance, let your knowledge that we don't measure up to what God says in his holy word not lead you to despair, but right back to the cross of Jesus where God assures you and me of our forgiveness. Maybe some of you actually recognize what's on the screen. Any Amazing Race fans out there, the television show Amazing Race? None? You can raise your hand. Okay, you have a couple of Amazing Race. This is not going to go very well then. Do you at least know what the Amazing Race is? Okay, it's a show on television, a reality show. It's a race around the world. They have to solve clues, right? There's different stops along the way. Well, one of the features that they added in one of the later seasons was what you see on the board. That's exactly what it looked like. Teams of two, who usually raced this teams race together, they could find what was called this express pass. And what the express pass allowed them to do was skip all of the other things that all the other contestants had to do and arrive first at the checkpoint. See, it was a huge advantage because they got to avoid doing all the things that everybody else had to do. And I thought about that when I thought about Jesus coming to this earth and the time being fulfilled because in effect, that's what God has given you and me. An express pass. A pass that says to you and me, your obedience is already fulfilled. You get to skip all the tasks that Jesus has done in your place because they're accomplished. They're finished. That's the good news that Jesus brought to this world. That's his purpose in coming. That's the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And it's your joy and your peace to know every single day the time is fulfilled and heaven is yours. Amen. Peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.